Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And this is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. And Marjorie, this is a very special day on Best to the Nest. (laughs) We're talking about pets in the nest. And um, our guest is someone that we've talked about a lot on this podcast, and that's my best friend. So we're going to introduce her in just a moment and tell you why she is very much qualified to talk about this topic. But pets are something that we haven't really discussed much on Best to the Nest, Marjorie, and they're always part of my nest and your nest. Always. Have you always, always from a very young animals? I have. And you know what's what's interesting is my sister, my older sister Jamie, had wanted to be a vet when she was a child. And my parents were always encouraging whenever we would express anything we wanted to be, uh, my parents would, particularly my father, would go all out. So growing up, I had two dogs. We had ducks at one point. We had some inappropriate pets. We had my father inexplicably, while we lived in Chicago, brought home two hares once. So we had two hares. And then there was always sort of chaos. Oh, kittens were in there in the mix as well. But for me, because of that, I would have to say I, I didn't really bond to any of those animals because they always represented chaos to oh, me. Oh, yeah. Because there were so many, and there was really no line of responsibility, mm-hmm. even though it was my sister who wanted to be the vet. We had hamsters as well, which she, as soon as they would die, would dissect them. Um, she's now a she's now a doctor, so it turned out okay. <laughs> But it was like crazy in our house with pets. And so that was my childhood experience. And it took me a long time to grow to love the animals that my husband would bring in. And we now have Jack, whom I adore, our Boston Terrier, who's 32 pounds. Your your best friend will have some comments about that. (laughs) And then Winston, who is my son's cat, but he was my soulmate. And he's my spirit animal. And he is the animal I've loved most in my life. And Winston is completely oblivious to me. (laughs) So that is my pet story. How about you? That is so fascinating. We had two kittens growing up who grew into cats, Sugar and Spice. Spicy Reese, may he rest (laughs) in peace. I mean, he's a legend from here till Topeka. He really is. And um, he was the greatest cat that ever lived. And Sugar was not a great cat, but we liked him anyway. But Spicy was a really great cat. And then I got my my best animal ever, second – well, Spicy first. And then Henry was yeah, my West Henry. Highland White Terrier who passed away just before Franklin was born. And I got him when I was 22 and living in Duluth in oh. my first market. And I had no business getting a dog. I had no money right. and I had no time. <laughs> um, but I did it anyway. And he was my forever companion. I mean, when I – like I start to tear up even just thinking about Henry because – he was my joy. He was, so he was dear. my first. I knew Henry. Baby, yes. And then, yeah. and I, but I also understand that idea of having pets in the house that maybe you're not as attached to. Like we have our German short hair pointer, Gracie, 
who right. I love, and she's a very nice dog, but she's my husband's dog. You know, he was right. the one who wanted her. It was her. And so she kind of adds to my stress in exactly. certain points. And so I do think that that just those relationships with the different animals is interesting to get into because pets can be such an important part of our homes, but they can also add a lot of stress to our homes. And that's why I'm excited about talking about all of those dynamics today. Yeah. And can I just add to, to speak to the chaos of my family with pets growing up? Let me just share this with you. My sister uh, named the dogs. We had two dogs growing up, an Airedale Terrier and a Mutt. One was named Bernie, formerly Bernard. The other one she named BJ. And my parents allowed that to happen. <laughs> so there. That just that is very point. funny. I also have yeah. chickens that live outside, but they're farm animals. They're they're a different situation. But yes. our guest today, yes. I'm so excited about because it's Dr. Tanya Gossard. Yes, that's right. Dr. Tanya Gossard, who happens to be my best friend in the whole world. She's a native Minnesotan. Uh, she got her undergraduate degree at the great University of Wisconsin-Madison. Great. <laughs> I added that part to the bio. The great University of Wisconsin-Madison. <laughs> She's lived in San Diego ever since then, and then in 2013, she got her DVM from Western University of Health Sciences, and she just purchased her very own veterinary medicine practice. She is huge. a hustler. She owns Kensington Veterinary Hospital, which is a lovely little neighborhood general practice mm. where she's been practicing for the last six years. I am beyond proud of her, and um, she's also certified in veterinary acupuncture, she has a five-year-old, a two-year-old, and because she's nuts like me, she has a third baby oh, on the way. My God, you guys, seriously, you're <laughs> killing me. <I> know. <laughs> if you want to know, like, just another version of me, here she is. Uh, we are so happy to welcome Tanya to the podcast. Tanya, <laughs> this is it. You're here. Hello. It's so nice to be here. Marjorie, it's so nice to talk to you in person because... I, I actually have conversations with both of you in my head when I'm listening to the podcast. <laughs> Sometimes out loud, I think I'm part of the conversation. Excellent. <laughs> so well, it's, it's nice. To, to it here. is nice to finally meet you as well because I've been hearing about you literally for years, mm -hmm. and so it's wonderful to meet Elizabeth's best friend. I know how much she means to you. So thank you for for being here with us. Oh, it's thank so good, Tanya. Me. Okay, so Tanya's love of animals. I think I meant to say you mean to her. That's true, but it's it's a mutual <laughs> love is what we have for each other. Yes. <laughs> Tanya's love of animals goes so far back. You know, Tanya and I met in the seventh grade, sixth or seventh grade, and have been, you know, we've lived together. We've went to college together. We spend time with our families together and no one ever loved animals more than Tanya. Tanya knew she wanted to be a vet. What, what do you think, Tanya? Probably like 10 years old, if maybe not earlier. I think like seven. One of my favorite, oh. one of my favorite memories is for, well, first of all, Marjorie, you grew up in the house I wanted to grow up in, <laughs> but my parents, I didn't allow. Right. Probably now as a parent, I would say with common sense. Right. <laughs> but, yes. Trust me. But, um, there's a story that my mom loves to tell and I love to tell is where I found it. I was about seven and I found a chicken egg outside and I thought that it was a duck egg and that it had been lost from its nest. So I built a nest in my front yard and sat on it for like six hours. <laughs> determined to hatch this egg and then be the mother duck with like the vision and dream that this baby duck was going to follow me around like a mama. Okay. I officially love you. <laughs> and so 
obviously that didn't that didn't happen <laughs> in my I, I think dinner time rolled around and I was done sitting on the nest but oh my god it, that's so cute <laughs> yeah yeah I it's, know it's so good you've always loved animals and seeing your um <laughs> your time of going through vet school and becoming a vet and then managing this really high pressure career with kids and then deciding to buy the practice I mean I'm not even adding the part where she went to Africa for three months and worked at a baboon sanctuary, Marjorie. She would call me from a satellite phone from like a mountaintop in Africa and tell me about this baboon that she was raising from baby. I mean, it was just, it's You didn't sit on him, did you? No. No, no, I didn't sit on him. You did shower with him though. I did shower with him and he slept in bed with me. Yes. What is so cool into the future of motherhood, you know? Yeah, really. It's that totally awesome. true. Okay, so let's talk about what pets bring to our homes because Tanya has a, a relatively new puppy, little Stevie, who I haven't even met yet, and then also recently lost your Boston Terrier, Bucky, and then before that, um, your Pit Lab mix, Sheba, who we all loved so much. So you've you've really gone through, I think two of the most stressful times in pet ownership, which have is having an old dog and then having a puppy like back to back Tanya. So let's talk about that dynamic of what, what pets bring to our homes, but then also how it can be so hard. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's been, I think we've learned so much as a family through all of these events. So, you know, first of all, just say pets give us so much. They're just, Amazing. And the human animal bond is absolutely the reason why I decided to become a veterinarian. It's that love of that bond. Um, They give us unconditional love, companionship, and studies have actually shown that they can help your health. Cats literally purring in your lap will reduce your blood pressure. (laughs) Um, I believe that. And so going through the puppy phase and the geriatric dog phase and all of that, they teach us so much. They teach us responsibility. They teach us patience. They teach us empathy. They teach us how to love. They teach us how to grieve. And now being in the puppy phase after 16 and a half years of having done it last mm. time, which I will just preface this as I spent those last 16 years saying I never wanted another puppy. I remember these. <laughs> I remember you saying that so many times. And then all of a sudden you were like, I'm getting a puppy. And I said, and you're having a baby. Like, what are you doing? Oh my God. We're, yeah, we we just, we like a level of crazy in this house, apparently. But we, um, but the geriatric phase of life is, is one that I have just such a special appreciation for after going through it with our two dogs who were our soul dogs. You know, you were talking about uh, Henry and we got Bucky around the same time. And so losing him, 16 and a half years, we were together through all of the most important adult moments in our lives between me and my husband, Greg. And so that was really, that was really hard to lose him and to go through that grieving process. It was also, though, hard with our kids because they, you know, especially George, our five-year-old, they kind of really understood to a certain degree what was happening. Mm -hmm. But my goodness, I have learned so much from the dynamic of my dogs with my children. You know, he, I I actually use George's quotes with my clients now when we talk about grieving because he'll say to me, mama, I know you're sad because you miss Sheba. I know you're sad because you miss Bucky, but his, his spirit will live forever because he's in our hearts. And whenever you think about him, he's here in the room with you. I mean, 
this is what my five-year-old has gained from going through grieving and losing a pet. So there's a lot of challenges, but I think it's just, it's so worth it. it you gain so much from your life with them. That's really well, amazing, we- Tanya. I hadn't thought about the benefits. You know, you think about the hardships of your kids losing pets. And my, Bernie doesn't really, she remembers Henry a little bit. She was really young when he passed away. She talks about him, but we've lost many a chicken. And so we go through like that grieving process. But I guess I hadn't really thought about that. That's a, that's actually a really wonderful lesson for them to learn to like understand grief and sit in grief and what a gift we're giving them as they get older. Cause you think about how many adults don't know how to process grief. It's, yeah. I think, and I think when we talk about pets in the nest, it is the lessons that you that your children learn. I mean, if you don't feel strongly about having a pet one way or the other, I will say my husband did feel very strongly. So we always had dogs when our kids were growing up. Mm-hmm. And we had a little Bijan whose name was Dizzy. And that was the first um, dog that the kids really knew. And so probably from the time they were five and seven. And I think what's really interesting about seeing them as adults now, it teaches them everything that they're supposed to learn as adults. And so if our job as a parent is to raise good adults, to raise responsible adults, to raise empathetic adults, you practice on pets. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's the truth. I mean, you can practice those things. Kids can learn those things. You got to walk the dog. You got to pick up after the dog. Mm-hmm. They're all things that young children can and should do. You got to feed the dog. I mean, all of these things. And then I think for children, especially growing up in houses where mom's working, dad's working, things are kind of crazy sometimes. The dog or the cat are the most consistent emotional yes. beings mm-hmm. in their life. It's always a linear, for the most part, if you have a good dog or a good cat, it's mostly a linear response. Your child comes home from school, the dog is excited. (laughs) And I think that's kind of the cool thing about having watched my children grow up with pets that they actually wanted and that they loved and that they bonded with, is that's what was really amazing to watch. And that's sort of, for me, like so much of my parenting of my own children, that's when I sort of grew a heart to pets. Because I could understand and I could see that bond in a really unconflicted way. I mean, Winston to this day, which is why he's my soulmate and my soul animal, even though that cat doesn't care about me, (laughs) he loves my son Mm -hmm. so much. And I always say this to any woman that would come into my son's life, if you love my son, I'm going to love you. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And that's what Winston does. I see the way they are together. And it's just this bond that it's so, it, it's so beautiful. And so like that, that's the point when you see that in young children, like you're talking about Tanya with your son, he gets it. But that's the beautiful thing. Animals yeah. are easy to get. And for kids, they make sense. They just make sense. You love me. I love you. Here we yeah. are. Great. Yeah. You know, it's that easy. Yeah. It's so it's so true. And that's actually what's been really great about the puppy experience this time around. And when we chose to get our next dog, we realized that this dog was really our kid's dog. Like this right. choice was going to be the dog that our kids grew up with yeah. and who they, they associated their childhood with. And so that was ultimately what led us to the puppy decision, which comes with all sorts of challenges, but all sorts of joy in the bonds you get forever. So, but yeah, that's yeah. kind of an unselfish thing you just said there. And I think that's part of it too, that I think sometimes people don't think about. That's really unselfish to say this is the kid's dog. Mm-hmm. 
because I think a lot of people would want their sort of, I'll call it an ego dog, dog that looks beautiful and is perfect and is all of those kinds of things. But at your core for your nest with young children, that's a beautiful thing to give that to your kids. It's your kid's dog because that's the, those are the memories they're going to look back on. Those are, I mean, I think that's really an important thing that you said. I think that really matters. It's so true. And those dogs that you have as kids are, are, or whatever pet it is as a kid, those are the memories that are so imprinted in you. I always say this, I've told this story on the podcast before that we got um, sugar and spice for Christmas when I was in fourth grade. And I will tell you that there, I don't remember, I remember having wonderful Christmases growing up. That is the only Christmas that if I think about it, I can physically remember the feeling of walking in after church, going down the stairs. I can remember what the box looked like, a huge box with a bow on it that the kittens were in. I remember hearing the meows. I remember reaching in and the feeling of grabbing them and how they felt and handing one to one sister and then me having one and then my other sister feeling left out and starting to cry. I remember all of these things, like (laughs) these fundamental things, you know? And so it is so true that animals... We have such memories attached to that. My husband talks about his golden retriever from growing up, Jake, like ad nauseum. It's, I mean, he always will be like, every time he has a sandwich, he's like, one time I would hold a sandwich and Jake would jump up and grab the sandwich. And I'm like, Jay, I, I know Jake ate your sandwiches. But these are the things that are so imprinted on us. And then that, I think also, Tanya, when you talk about like the loss of Bucky in particular and my loss of Henry, There is a loss not only of that companion, but also of that time in your life. Do you think that's why people grieve so intensely? Because like I felt like I was, I was losing my young, fun, single girl when, when I lost Henry. That's interesting. That's exactly how we felt when we lost both Sheba and Bucky. It was like, that was that time of our lives. And it felt like we were moving on to a new chapter which is beautiful in its own way, but it's very sad in another way to be moving on from that chapter in your life that you shared with that companion. So yeah, they represent so much to us. Which I have to say, a shout out to our vet in St. Paul that we, um, our Dizzy was poisoned many years ago when there was a, a dog food scare mm-hmm. where it was a I can't remember that, and I won't say the name of the company, but it was this sort of soft dog food that was poisoned. And we had given it to Dizzy before they recalled it. And it just caused all, didn't kill, didn't kill him, but it, it caused all sorts of complications. And I will always say when we talk about death and grief, and so it became clear that it was time. And I'll always remember, because this was such a revelation to me, and this might be the norm within a veterinary practice, but in St. Paul, we had a beautiful fireplace on our porch, and our vet came over to give Dizzy the shot to to put, put him down, and Dizzy was in my husband's lap, and she gave him the shot, and Dizzy fell asleep right in front of the fireplace that he loved, mm. and it was so, I think sometimes too, and I just am shouting out to that vet because I think sometimes too part of all of this of having a good pet in your house is also having a good vet that you can go to that helps you care for the person that you or the person see I even say person care for that little soul that you love so much because I will never forget that kindness that she came to our home 
because Dizzy would have been petrified if we had taken him to the vet. I mean, just would have been, would have known something was up. And so you would have known like the last moment would have been, but for Dizzy, what he remembers is sitting in my husband's lap in front of the fire, going to sleep. And it's just so important that when you have that, that you also have a great vet. And I I just, I don't know you and I don't go to your vet practice, (laughs) but I know you now and I bet you're an amazing one. So that's the other part of this is to find good care. Yeah, that's so true. So Tanya, let's talk about that and that care element and what things you really want people to think about when they're getting uh when they're getting a pet. We I joke about having a German short hair pointer that they're the most high energy dog you can possibly get. So if you want like a level of insanity, that's the kind of dog that you get. But I I do think people maybe just don't research enough and understand their life versus what this animal needs from them because they all need something different. Exactly. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. When you told me you were getting a German short hair pointer, the worst. I was like, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So did I. I said the same thing. I said no for so long. Yes. Oh boy. Oh boy. No, no, you're totally right. The, you know, I kind of have like three hallmarks I tell people to focus on. Be educated, be realistic and be committed. And yes. the first part, be educated, is what type of pet you're looking into getting. Is that a dog, a cat, some sort of reptile or exotic species? What husbandry and care is involved in that? If you're looking at dogs, breed research is really yeah. important. Yeah. <laughs> German short hair pointers have a lot of energy. They were oh. bred for hunting. If they don't get a certain amount of exercise in a day, they're going to drive their owners crazy. <laughs> Exhibit A. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's also just like common medical issues that a lot of different breeds get. You know, if you are getting a dog, you are in for it yeah. <laughs> with medical issues and vet bills. And the same can be said for most purebreds, to be quite honest. Like if you ask a vet, what medical issues do I have to be worried about? We can we can rattle off a good list for you for any breed that you're looking at. But the most important thing is, is to kind of be educated and be prepared for those type of things. And then be realistic about what your family and your household looks like. What's your normal daily routine? It's going to be impacted. How is it going to be impacted? Are you prepared for that? Are you okay with that? Because the more prepared you are and realistic you are, the less struggle it will be when you have to face those challenges of getting up with the puppy, you know, every couple hours when they're really little, going through training, taking everything out of their mouth for about a year and a half, just all of the challenges that go into the different phases of puppyhood. Or if you choose to adopt an older adult dog, news, you might get one that's already potty trained and it has gone through some sort of training, but they might have some baggage from whatever their background was that you have to be prepared to manage. So being realistic about the investment you have to make into your pet is, I think, the biggest thing um, that people need to be prepared for. Yeah, that's good. Really good advice. The financial commitment is real too. And I think yes, all is. of this is trying to reduce the stress because there are going to be some things. And I mean, let me tell you, when I come home and I walk up the stairs and I see that Gracie has peed on the carpet, I mean, I want Oof. to throw something. Like it just <laughs> yes. is so much. And, and you know, you've got, you got to be like, it's understanding, but it's also, it's, it's very annoying. It's very annoying. And so I think having like expectations 
that things are going to be hard some days, but then also a division of responsibility is important too. I mean, I think the the worst thing that can happen is everybody in the family is like, yeah, let's get this dog. We're all doing it. And then mom is the one who has to do every single thing for the dog. And then guess who's resentful? Mom, if you're having to do everything for an animal and listen, moms have enough to be mad about. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) But this goes back to, again, I think if it's a family animal that those rules get set early because, again, this is how you – these are the great lessons you can teach your kids is responsibility and work and commitment. If you say you want a dog, what does that actually look like? Mm -hmm. And to your point of bringing a dog into your house, we both – Dizzy and now our Boston Jack were both rescues. And they were both older dogs. We got Jack from a Boston, a Boston, like they, it was a Boston rescue. And Dizzy came from the Humane Society. And I think Dizzy was five, was older, was like five years old when, when we got him. And Jack was, we're not sure how old Jack was, but he might have been two. But both were toilet trained already. Both were sort of set. And I think sometimes people don't want to get, a rescue dog that's a little bit older because they feel like, oh, that dog really won't be mine. Like it won't love me the way it should love me because it's loved somebody else. But I am here to tell you Mm -hmm. the bond between my husband and Jack. Jack is like 15 years old. We're not really sure, but almost has no teeth left, is completely blind and deaf. When Jack passes away, my husband will go into the saddest state I mean, everybody keeps saying, oh, my God, please, Jack, don't die before Marjorie gets to Kansas because (laughs) dad's going to need dad's going to need you. Dad's going to need you because the bond between those two is so profound. And so when you're thinking about how complicated a puppy can be, although I think puppies are adorable. Honestly, I'm here to tell you both of our dogs were older dogs. Both of them had owners before us, but they loved us so much, I think, because and I'm. I'm I'm probably projecting this, but I feel like sometimes they loved us so much because we gave them a home and they were old enough to know it. <laughs> just, yeah. I mean, they were so loyal and so sweet. So there's, I don't think you should be afraid of that if you don't want to go through the whole puppy thing, which in one time in my life, I think I want to go through that as an adult because I haven't. We've never gotten a dog as a puppy. But from experience, it was a very easy road to welcome in an older dog into our home. And both of them were wonderful. Absolutely. Our former dogs were six months old, which we still did some puppy. Obviously, I had to go through puppy stuff with, with him. Right. And two and a half-ish when we adopted our other dog. Yeah. And just amazing, wonderful bonds. And yeah. I, I love that tribute to your dogs because I'm, I, I love rescue work and I think adopting dogs is amazing. And, well, yeah, and, I don't. I don't go visit the rescues because I would be very hard to leave without a dog. And puppies, <laughs> guys, puppies have to be cute. If they're not cute, you don't want one because <laughs> they are a real pain in the patootie. I mean, listen, I've had two, and they are uh, so much work. I have said many times on television that puppies are more work <laughs> than babies. A puppy is so much freaking work yeah. and you don't yeah. get maternity leave when you get a puppy <laughs> no. FYI. I, Although, America has enough problems with maternity leave, much less a pet maternity leave. 
Although just as a gag, Elizabeth, I'd love you to go into your boss. If you ever get another puppy, go in and ask for puppy leave. Yeah. See should. how that goes over. You should get it. <laughs> you know, so Tanya, as a vet, I wanted to make sure that we got some time to talk about some things that you can do to make your vet's life a little bit easier and then in turn <laughs> oh, I love that. to make your life easier because vet care is expensive. It gets really emotional. And I know that, you know, from your end, a lot of your job ends up trying to convince people to do something for their dog. It's it's a different type of medicine than it is for people. But I don't know if everyone knows this. It is much harder to get into vet school than it is to get into med school. There are far yes, fewer is. vet schools. And, and veterinarians are learning, I don't know, Tanya, how many species do you think that you learned about in vet school? Like, 50, 60? I don't know that I could even give the number. We we do learn a broad, a broad across the board. Yeah, everything. Yeah. But then people doctors learn about one type of thing. It's a person. And animal doctors <laughs> learn about all sorts of types of things. And I mean, I Taboos. have chickens and I have dogs and they're very different creatures. So um, I can imagine that that's overwhelming. So when what would what could people do that would make your job easier? Help us help you, Tanya. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, first thing that I would say is be prepared to listen to the advice your vet has to give you. <laughs> yes. You are coming and paying an exam fee. You should get your full dollar's worth out of that. For So when your vet makes um, recommendations for annual wellness care, diet, and all of that. It is coming from a place of wanting what's in the best interest for your pet. I think um, when Liz at first said that, you, what are there any pet peeves you have? I guess I would say the biggest, one of, one of the ones we have is listening to fill in the blank, someone that's other than your veterinarian. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, saying, well, the groomer told me this, well, the breeder told me this, the pet food salesperson said I should buy this food. It's just those people have really great intentions, but they did not dedicate eight to 12 years of higher education studying veterinary medicine to be able to give you the best advice. So I think that's one of the biggest things you could do to set yourself up for success. But, you know, I will say on the flip side is that I think it's super important from the perspective of a veterinarian for when we're talking to our clients is to be open to have the understanding that clients are and pet owners are bombarded with a barrage of information that's out there and they are interested in the best interest of their pet and they want to have comprehensive conversations about what the recommendations are so they can make the best decision for their animal. I think that's what's what's brought me to integrative medicine is that I just love like a multimodal approach and to be able to say, okay, well, here's a general guideline for what we we want to do regarding vaccines, for example. And well, let's let's come up with a plan that's specific and best for your pet and your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good yeah, stuff. I think that's really important. I think Google's an amazing thing, except when you're Googling your own health care and your own pet's care, yeah, is yeah. that I think sometimes people forget that Yes, it's fine to gather information, but it's important to also listen to the experts. And ultimately, we all make our own decisions. But I think what you said, listening is the key. Listening is the key. And some of that, I think, is is having a good relationship with your vet. I mean, having a vet that you like we have a real straight talking vet here and I we really appreciate it like he's just like this is how it is this is what's happening and this is what's going on and I'm like great and then I of course ask Tanya for a second opinion which I'm sure is really infuriating <laughs> to her um, because I don't pay her for that advice but I do feel like I get a little bit of a 
card. I just don't think everyone should be messaging Tanya about their vet care if she is not, in fact, their vet. I did do this the other day when I was saying, what should I do about Gracie's dog food? Because, And I did preface it with, I'm sorry that I'm doing this, but... Gracie like doesn't seem that into her food, which got us down this road. I said, well, everyone says that you should rotate the protein in your dog food. So that's what I've been doing. And Tanya says, everyone says that except for veterinarians. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the the food thing is really hard. And there's all this weird information out there about food. The food thing is my dreaded question. (laughs) What should I feed my dog? Oh, good Lord. I don't have a good, we really don't have like a great answer that's going to satisfy everybody. Mm -hmm. I think that we all know that nutrition is the basis of health for our families, our human families, and we want to extend that to our pets as well. And so a lot of people have turned away from the idea of like the dehydrated processed kibble, right? The problem is, is that There's not a lot of regulation and quality control in the pet food arena. And so anybody has been able to develop a boutique, natural, and I'm using air quotes here, diets for these dogs. And we also got on this like grain-free trend for dogs. And now here we are finding, and kind of to your point, Marjorie, too, about the recalls with some diets out there. There's just not a lot of quality control. And now we have found over the last five to seven years that these dogs that have been on these natural grain-free boutique diets are developing a nutritional deficiency cardiomyopathy didn't exist before. And so we still are studying it in the veterinary world. We don't know the complete pathophysiology of it, but we do know that it has something to do with taurine and a correlation between these diets and getting them on a different diet can help reverse some of the cardiac changes but it's just kind of, it's frustrating that, uh, that um, people still don't know the risks there and um, come in, you know, having been fed up, being on grain-free diets, and we, we have this talk. And then they say, okay, well, what should I feed my pets? <laughs> and it's really hard because I have to say, you know, like the the veterinary-produced products are the ones we know that they're doing a lot of studies. We know they have quality controls. They know that they undergo AFCO trials. And those are the ones that aren't having medical issues and, and aren't having recalls. And so, you know, there's a couple of brands that I can say, okay, well, I can, I can recommend them, but the best thing I can tell people is to do their research. Right. Um, so it's, which is, which is hard. <laughs> it's hard yeah, to find the right information. It feels like it's just the same as with people food. I mean, there's so much marketing involved in it. And there's exactly. so much of like, some people will say, well, everybody should be eating no grains. Well, everybody should be eating no gluten. Well, everyone should be eating no dairy, you know, and then you kind of like put that on animals too. And, and then there's the marketing and then the safety and all of that stuff. And I think it's just another example of we live in a country where it's kind of anything goes with most labeling and what you put in food a lot of times. Coming from the side of, of somebody who we suffered tragic consequences because of the dog food we, we fed Dizzy, is I think there's sort of a feeling like if it's in the store, it's safe. Mm-hmm. And back to your point, Tanya, is listen to the experts, listen to your vet, and do the research. And random just because something's on the clearance aisle in terms of your dog food, that may not be the best thing for your dog. And just to be careful what you what you feed them. And I, I, I think it's important to just, like you said, do the research. It's so good. Well, Tanya, I'm so proud of you, as you know. I mean, it's just she's she's crushing it. Very few people can do what Tanya does. That being said, I know it doesn't come 
uh, without challenges. And uh, I'm just proud of everything that you're doing. And I think I'm so appreciative that you took time today to talk to us about this. And we can just have those honest discussions about the joys that pets can bring to our lives, but also the stresses and some of the things that you can know before you go into it so that you have a really wonderful relationship with your dog. And I don't know where my dog is. She's probably causing some sort of havoc right now. (laughs) Well, I need to know, is there a picture that exists of you two in sixth grade? Oh, yeah. 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 Listen, and if you want to know the most embarrassing thing that's out there, I'll tell you, Tanya and I did a project was that in seventh grade, T, our Mount St. Helens no, eruption? No, Mount St. Helens was ninth grade, ninth I think. Ninth grade, okay. And I <laughs> have this. I have this evidence. She has a VHS <laughs> copy of the video newscast that we made of the reenactment of the Mount St. Helens volcano eruption. And okay. in order to look very 80s-esque, I drew the most <laughs> giant eyebrows on Tanya in black eyeliner. And then in order to replicate the rumbling of the land during the volcanic explosion, we just shook the camera in my backyard. And we had Katie do it. <laughs> my sister, <laughs> yes. Okay. I must see this. <laughs> I mean, Marjorie, I've been holding on to this. It's like a golden egg. <laughs> oh, so you've been sitting on it because we know about you and eggs. <laughs> yes. um, I, my, my husband is like, Are you, does she know that you still have this? Because, I mean, this is huge. <laughs> I have to see this. Some way, Tanya, you and I will coordinate. I must see this. Someday Tanya can get that transferred. Yeah, she can get it converted to something and we'll have to post that somewhere. And you can see just the raw broadcasting talent that existed within me in that moment. Love it. Oh, gosh. Tanya, you're the best. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Love you so much. It's so nice to finally get to chat with you both. Love you. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and write us a review at Apple Podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best of the Nest or go to bestofthenest.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We are the podcast that brings you home. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.